When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember. Together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. What up, everybody? Sorry to interrupt the regular programming right here, but Rick and I have to pay the bills, so we're going to run an ad. This ad is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Enjoy the show, guys. Robbie boy, how you doing, brother? What's up, Ricky? How you doing, man? What's up, listeners? Living good. Hopefully everybody's staying safe out there. This is Rob Brandt. And this is Rick Brandt, and we are the Brothers Brandt. Yes, sir. And thanks for tuning into the podcast. We're going to keep going strong despite this coronavirus that we have going on. I hope you're enjoying this during your quarantine. Day 18, we're just going to keep coming out with content after content Tuesday and Friday, Tuesday and Friday, dropping them like it's hot. Ah. Just to recap, our last episode, we were in Kansas City. We saw back-to-back Royals games, caught some two Ws there, and we crashed at the Boyds, a.k.a. the Four Seasons in Kansas City. And then we scooted on up to St. Louis, crashed in a parking garage, and woke up and went to go see the Arch. And that was nice. That, that was nice. That was nice. And now it's about... It's about like a little afternoon, early afternoon, and we're driving from St. Louis 
all the way up to Chicago. And Rick, uh, why don't you tell them what happened in the car on the way up? I don't recall much happening in the car. Me staying focused, locked in on the road. We didn't have any cops pull us over for speeding. I just was, you know, focused in on the road there. And you were my right-hand co-pilot as always. I think we were jamming out to some good music. Why? Is there anything specific you want to bring up? Because I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of people have been asking me, you know, what, what's it like driving in the car with Rick for hours upon hours and hours? And we Fantastic. do have a good playlist. We do have OAR always on the uh, always on the iPad at the I, iPod at the time. Uh, however, I do remember this uh, sliver of the trip because Rick, you had I don't remember this. Craziest, I don't remember the craziest sneezing fit I've ever witnessed in my entire life. I have no idea where that came from. I have no idea. To this day, I have never sneezed that much in that one period of time ever. Out of nowhere, we're driving going 80 miles per hour, and Rick sneezes, you know, a nice achoo. And at first, I go, oh, cool. He's probably got one, two, maybe three sneezes in there. You know, that's usually how it goes. This kid sneezed at least 25 times and at some point during his sneezing fit he just gave up on blocking the snot from hitting the steering wheel and he was just sneezing all over the steering wheel and he's going rob grab the wheel grab the wheel i can't see i'm blacking out over here <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true and yeah. I, I don't know it must have been that pollen in the midwest or something that fall cuz the soybeans out there, the soybean farms. Listen, we got there safely. We rolled into Chi-Town, and we were setting ourselves up for what would be the next 24 hours of greatness. First by the incredible tour we got Thursday late afternoon, and then followed by the afternoon Friday night, Friday afternoon delight with the day game at Wrigley. Rob, tell them about this tour, bro. So, guys, uh, a big thing that Rick and I love doing is scheduling tours of the stadiums on early game days or the day before. So, when we were mapping out this trip, Wrigley was one of the games that we had to go to. We had to figure out how to fit in a game at Wrigley, a day game at Wrigley. And we went online and we bought the $20 each stadium tour for the day before. And we go to Wrigleyville. There's a, there's a couple streets next to Wrigley Field that are called Wrigleyville, Wrigleyville with a bunch of bars. And it's a great atmosphere. If you're not going to the game, highly suggest going to these bars in Reg Wrigleyville. Rob, why don't I talk a little bit about that Wrigleyville component? Because Wrigley Field component the is just, Correct. The Wrigleyville component is just so spectacular. You've got to remember that Wrigley Field was built in the early 1900s. That and Fenway are the only two stadiums like that up in Boston. And what they are is they're basically in the middle of these cities. And then over time, over the course of a century, the cities became more and more built up. And now you've got these small little ballparks wedged into just massive cities. And what they've done is created a fun atmosphere where you don't even need to go into the game you could just party hang out drink celebrate just have a good time outside the stadium 
So I know we enjoyed that on Thursday when we got to town, and then we made our way over to the stadium for the tour, which was legendary. Now, the tour was awesome. It was unbelievable. Hands down, the greatest tour we've ever received. And sometimes when you go on these tours, you get some iffy tour guides, and we totally lucked out. We had a tour guide that was our age, and he was just hilarious, cracking jokes, having such a great time. And he really embraced his job and knew everything about the Cubs franchise. And I'll give you this, um, I'll give you some fun facts here about the Cubs. Uh, Wrigley Field was built in uh, 1914. Uh, prior to that, they played on uh, the West Side Park in Chicago. And the Cubs were a good team. They actually won the World Series in, I believe, 06, uh, 1906 and 1908, but they didn't have the best reputation. They actually were known as cheaters uh, to a lot of people. At this West Side Park, which I thought was so interesting, our tour guide was explaining that they uh, had home run fences, but they weren't fences. They were just people standing in the outfield about 300 feet away from the uh, home plate and they would hold up rope. And when the Cubs were up, uh, but back then they were the Chicago White Stockings, uh, they would hold the rope at their knee level. So it was really easy for people to hit home runs. Um, and then when the other team was up, they would hold it as high as they possibly could. Um, so that was kind of funny. And then they instituted this rule where you can't do that. Um, fast forward a couple of years, and this is where you got Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field is the second oldest ballpark in the country. A couple of fun facts here. It was the first ever ballpark to allow fans to keep foul balls. Um, and it was the last stadium to get lights. This is very interesting. And we found this out on our tour that Wrigley Field was supposed to be the first stadium to get lights in the 40s. Uh, however, due to World War II, they donated the lights to aircraft carriers so that they could use it for war efforts. And then they finally got lights in 1988. So that's why the day game at Wrigley is like so iconic. So you want to check out a day game at Wrigley. Um, they also, their scoreboards aren't uh, digital. Well, now they are because of upgrades over the past couple of years. But forever, the scoreboards were manually operated where some dude would take, you know, a one and put it up on the scoreboard and all that and keep track of hits and errors and everything. Another sweet fact about the stadium is the ivy on the walls. And that is the most iconic thing about Wrigley is you have these home run walls that are actual uh, bricks. And then there's a chain link fence. And then there's ivy that's weaved in and out of, these, uh, of the fence. So you got this ivy wall in center field. And this was, I mean, Rick, I'm sure you agree with this, but this was kind of a neat story. Uh, Wrigley, the field is owned by the Wrigley Chewing Gum Company. They owned the Cubs for a while. And they, they had the naming rights to the field. And uh, the, the son, who was owner of the team, he saw he saw Ivy on a wall of like a different stadium and he just thought it was so cool 
So he hired this guy, Bill Veck, to put ivy on the walls. And when Wrigley Jr. hired Bill Veck, Bill was like, yeah, this will be a nice project for, uh, you know, next year. We'll do this in the offseason and we'll get the ivy up and it will look beautiful. We just got to do it in a year. And Mr. Wrigley was just all about the money and he just wanted to get it done and have this new attraction to the stadium. So they go, no, 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 we're going to do it before opening day this year. And if opening day was on, we'll call it May 1st, this was April 1st. And then he's like, there's no way this is ever going to happen. Like, there's no way we're going to be able to get this much ivy and it's never going to happen. Well, Bill Veck, and he recruited a ton of people and it was an absolute miracle, but they, they literally went around Chicago gathering up ivy from everyone's home and weaving it in and out of these, uh, this chain link fence. And they, had, uh, they didn't have lights back then, so they had their cars and they just turned the lights on so they could see what they were doing at night. And they worked all through the night to put up this uh, ivy. Um, so that's, that's, some, that's some interesting characteristics about the field. Uh, there's also a couple of interesting things. The, uh, the Cubs, as a franchise, won a World Series in 1908. And then they didn't win another World Series until 2016. So 109 years later. Uh, they won their next World Series. And they had this dark ages of baseball where they had the curse of the billy goat. Uh, a fan got kicked out of the stadium and he came back with his billy goat and cursed the, uh, supposedly cursed the Cubs. Um, from, and that was, that was during the 1947-1981 times. And so that was, that was a little dark history. And fast forward a little bit, when the Cubs were in a World Series, and I remember this because Rick and I were probably 12, 12, 13 years old, the Cubs were playing the Marlins in a uh, a National League championship game, and there's a ESPN documentary about Steve Bartman, and you have to watch it, especially during this quarantine. You got to imagine this. The Cubs haven't won the World Series at this point in a hundred years. And then they're one series away from going to the World Series and potentially winning it to, to end this curse. Uh, and a, fa- a ball gets hit into uh, left field and Moises Alou is going back to the track and it's a, fa- it's a foul ball and he jumps up to try and grab it to, to you know, record an out. And a fan, a Cubs fan by the name of Steve Bartman, reaches over just as any normal fan would do when a ball's hit to them, tries to grab it and deflects the ball. And Moises Alou drops it. And then the batter uh, gets another chance. The Cubs go on to lose that, that series. And all the blame goes on Steve Bartman. So at the stadium where Steve Bartman sat, there is no longer a seat there. They removed the seat. That was pretty cool. I remember that being on our tour, going over and checking that out. And, you know, it's kind of weird because there should definitely be a seat there. It's just an opening. But I guess for, uh, I guess for uh, purposes of not wanting to ever see that happen again, they removed the seat. And lo and behold, the Cubs went on, like you said, in 2016 to win the World Series. So you're right. It's just uh, interesting that a 
team, a franchise in, you know, sports these days went that long without winning it. And we were there at that point. It was 2013. So three years before they ended up winning it. And also, too, I loved your, your context about the Ivy, Rob. I think that's awesome. People definitely could appreciate that. And now, like you said, it's just that iconic outfield wall where you just see Ivy all the time. No other stadium has that. And I remember as part of our tour, we were able to go check out the wall. We got a chance to go in the dugouts, the locker rooms, which, by the way, are probably the smallest locker rooms in all of Major League Baseball because, again, of when the stadium was built. Things were a lot smaller back then. People were a lot smaller 100 years ago. You had to duck your head everywhere you went when we were on our tour. Uh, pretty cool yeah. stuff, bro. Let me, pretty cool let me, stuff. Let me interrupt you there because I remember a fun fact about the tour. Um, like you said, the dugouts were so small, and the only way to get to the dugouts was not even underneath. If you remember, Rick, it was a bridge going across the concourse, and you had to go across this bridge and then go underneath into the dugout. And for I remember the tour guide, he said – for, for decades, they never had anything protecting the uh, players from the fans over that concourse. So picture you're getting some nachos at the, con at the concourse level, and all of a sudden you see all these baseball players walking over your head and going into their dugout. Well, when the Cubs would lose, all of these, all of these fans would actually just get beer and throw it at the Cubs or the opposing team, depending on what happened that game. And then after a while, baseball was like, no, 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 we can't have this anymore. And they, they actually covered the stairway that the, the cross bridge that goes over there. And I thought that was funny. <laughs> that was, that was probably also a good wise decision to do so. Yeah. I remember that. That was also very unique to Wrigley field. I don't think any other stadium had that feature it was pretty cool though good uh good memory on that do you have any other fond memories i like getting up into uh the press box area i thought that was pretty cool up where harry carey used to sing take me out to the ball game legendary broadcast announcer there what are your thoughts yeah i think uh i think the stadium is unbelievable people always ask me what's your favorite baseball stadiums and i consider Wrigley Field and Fenway Park to be in a league of their own like nobody else compares to those stadiums if you're a baseball fan those stadiums are in a league of their own and you have to go see them you have to do the tour uh, I mean I remember when we were doing the tour you were tearing up Rick again you were tearing up it was an emotional weekend for me for sure uh, I think even the next day on game day I got even more teary-eyed during the national anthem and, uh, man, we just had a, a ball that next day because it was a picture-perfect Friday afternoon at Wrigley Field. You can just picture, you know, a lot of the people in the city of Chicago getting out of work around noontime so they can make it over for the 1 o'clock first pitch. Uh, just the buzz in the atmosphere. Uh, stadium was filling in. The thing was packed. We had our nosebleed seats. But, again, we never even made it to our nosebleed seats because – when we got there early, we went down by the field, got some good pictures, enjoyed just the players warming up. And then by the time it was, it was getting close to first pitch and national anthem, we wanted to find some good seats. And as we're walking along the lower concourse area, probably no more than 30 rows off the field, 
there's uh, there's two seats wide open in the first row. And what do we do? We sit down and nobody ever came the whole time, Rob. It was just you, me, and one other special fan. Sweet old lady. Yeah, you know what? I don't recall her name, but she was so kind and so sweet. She actually also was doing the scorecard. She goes to the games by herself. She sits by herself. Uh, the ushers all know her because she's, you know, kind of this quirky but really positive and nice older lady. And uh, she's got all the pins on her, uh, you know, a lanyard, if you can picture that, from 50 years, 60 years ago. And she's just, sit, just sitting there doing the scorecard. And we were doing it all, the three of us, in fact. All three of us were doing the scorecard. Yeah, I'll post a picture of Inst on Instagram of uh, us doing the scorecard with this lady. It was a lot of fun. You know, it was good to just chill out. And, you know, we didn't have to play musical chairs. And going back to the opening for the Star Spangled Banner, because that's where you really just, you were crying. You were, you were crying there. It wasn't just a tear. Um, and it was a special moment because the guy that was singing the Star Spangled Banner was the Chicago Blackhawks announcer. And he's also a opera singer, like renowned opera singer in Chicago and performs all the time. And correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, but I believe the story was he got mugged after a Chicago Blackhawks game or something like that. And he got shot in the throat or the neck and it affected his uh, windpipes. And he had to go through all this surgery and come back. And this was his first time coming back and doing the Star Spangled Banner at Wrigley, at a day game at Wrigley. Yeah, it was pretty emotional, not just for myself, but for others. That was pretty cool. Uh, he was already legendary. I remember we used to watch him watching some uh, some playoff and Stanley Cup Blackhawk games. So for him to coincidentally be singing the national anthem that day made it even that much more special. So I'll always remember that day and just sitting at Wrigley, enjoying a hot dog with my brother and doing the scorecard. That was some uh, special stuff that day. Yeah, that was great. And I have one more uh, piece of trivia for Wrigley because I feel like it's just affected the game of baseball. Go ahead. Lay um, it on us. Yeah, so it just hit me that back in the day, uh, the Cubs were known as cheaters. Like they were just known as, you know, a rough, rough, rough crowd, rough team. And one of the things that got them this nickname or, uh, you know, thought that they were cheaters is the fans – Back in the 40s and 50s, they were business people. So they would, uh, back in the 40s and 50s, everybody would dress in suits with uh, white undershirts. And when they're sitting in the outfield, if you can picture this as a batter. So if you're, if you're at bat and the pitcher's pitching, you know, 80, 90 mile per hour baseballs at you that are all white, picture fans in center field wearing black um, jackets, suit jackets when the Cubs are up. So directly behind the pitcher in center field, you can see it. When the Cubs were up, they would keep their jackets on so that the Cubs could see the baseball coming in at 80, 90 miles per hour. And then when the opposing team was up, they would take off their suit jackets. So it would just be the white undershirt. 
and it was very hard for batters to differentiate between the the t-shirts the white t-shirts and the baseball so major league baseball came in and said no 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 you guys can't do this this is insane people are going to get hurt so from now on when you go to a baseball game i want you to check out the outfield and directly behind the uh, in center field somewhere it's going to be either blacked out or all green and it's known as the uh, batter's eye so that it's just easier for the batter to see you know a hundred mile per hour coming fastball coming in from chapman on the yankees you know so um, i thought that was neat and just as stuck with baseball to this day yeah, you're right. You nailed it on the head. That's definitely how it originated. And uh, all stadiums around the country have it to this day. So, yeah, good stuff on that memory there. And just uh, I've been back to Wrigley a couple times since. And uh, that was the first time we ever went there. And it was super, super awesome. Definitely very high on any sports fans bucket list, ladies and gentlemen. Agreed. And the game, the game itself was uh... – you know, Rick and I were talking about it recently and, and we were reliving it and we both have really good memories on all these sports games and the game was close. You got to remember, we are at this point, we are uh, 6-0. and We're 6-0 and on this trip right six now. 6-0. and We're undefeated. Every home team that we've been rooting for, which when we go to all of our sporting events, we always root for the home team. It just makes the experience that much more enjoyable. You have so many more fans and people in the audience that are just there supporting and cheering and you're high five and all together. You're all in it together versus the minority of, you know, visiting fans who are kind of on their own. And depending on what city you're in, it could get actually a little rough and demonstrative, but we're always rooting for the home fans, the home team. And uh, we're six and oh at this point. And unfortunately we walked out of Wrigley with our first loss I believe the Braves won seven of four that day, but you're right, Rob. It was close. It was tight the whole game. And then in like the eighth or ninth top of the inning, the Braves busted it wide open with like a grand slam or something. Yeah, they hit a grand slam in the, uh, I think it was the eighth or the ninth inning. And uh, another thing that's unique, and it's just coming to me right now about Wrigley, is Rick mentioned that the stadium was built way back in the early 1900s. They weren't expecting this capacity of fans to come to games, but they're kind of maxed out on, on how many seats they can put in the actual stadium. So Wrigley is one of the only stadiums in the country where you'll see this, but it's so tight. There's, there's like townhomes across the street uh, from the stadium, and you'll see bleachers and stadium seating on the roof of these townhomes that people who live in these townhomes installed uh, seating so people can actually sit there. <laughs> yeah, and, and believe it or not, those things are always filled. They're always sold out. Corporates, re- corporations rent them for different functions. Fans just go there because it's a unique way to watch a game. But you're right. You're essentially watching a Major League Baseball game from across the street on top of a like four-story building and you're, you're sitting in the bleachers stands they've set up with, they've got some food and drinks for you, of course, yeah. but uh, really neat. In fact, next time I go to Wrigley, I would actually probably want to just try and watch a game from out there just to, just to say I did it. And also just to kind of feel what that was like, because hundreds, thousands of people have done that over the years. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely uh, nowhere. Nowhere else is like that. But uh, yeah, the Braves. Uh, the Braves gave the uh, Cubbies a loss. So now we're six and one, and we had a blast despite the loss. We had a great time in Chicago. Your, bu- um, your buddy, your buddy hosted us too, right? We yeah, well, Ben Skemper uh, hosted us there for uh, for uh, Thursday night, and then uh, it was great. We slept in bunk beds. Uh, that's right. Shout out to Ben with the bunk beds. That's right. We were there yeah. in Chicago. I remember it was a Thursday night. We got there, and I think coincidentally. Uh, I think the Bears were playing a Thursday night football game, but I think they were on the road. I don't think they were in town. Otherwise, we definitely would have went. And I remember we found ourselves at a local pub downtown Philly, or downtown uh, Chicago, excuse me, and watching the game. And then, uh, yeah, you're right. We stayed with Ben in bunk beds, went to the uh, Cubs game the next day on Friday, and then we headed out of town to another sacred sports venue that Friday evening when we rolled into South Bend, Indiana for Saturday's Notre Dame football game. And that, I know, next episode is going to be a doozy. Uh, it's going to be a great episode. We're going to talk about Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, South Bend, Indiana, and crashing with uh, one of our great friends, uh, Timmy Galano. The kid was an absolute blast. He was a phenomenal host. Clutch. The man was like the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Yep, and I think that led to a phenomenal Friday evening and and possibly a Saturday tailgating session that'll go down in in infamy. Oh, it was a rough one. This was probably one of the times where I let loose on the trip. Oh yeah, you were you were gone. You were gone. We'll get to those next episode on the Brothers Brant podcast. But for Rick and Rob. We're the Brothers Brand. We appreciate you guys listening, and we'll catch you for the next episode. Right, Rob? Yep. Sounds good. See you guys then. Stay tuned. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more.